Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hey, I'm Jared Padalecki. And this is Jensen Ackles. And you're listening to Winchester Radio. Hey everybody, welcome to Winchester Radio tonight. We're we're excited because we loved this episode. Um, this episode called Just My Imagination by Jenny Klein, written by Jenny Klein and directed by Richard Spate Jr., who of course played Gabriel and the Trickster on the show and now has directed an episode. And Jenny did a great job writing it and I think Richard did a very good job directing overall. No big complaints about that. Um, I thought Jenny did such a good job mixing drama and and creepy stuff and humor. There was lots of humor in this episode and I, I just love that part of it. And it was also had some beautiful sentiment in it. Not sentimentality, sentiment and emotion. And it could have so easily gone overboard on on the humor and on the sentiment and and it didn't i think thanks to her writing and directing and of course uh the acting jensen and jared and nate torrance who played sully which was sam's imaginary friend i thought he did a awesome job just awesome um there's 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 so much i, I don't even know where to begin um what should we talk about first? I, I mean, the humor, the imaginary friends, the the uh, Jared and Jensen wearing sweaters, Sam and Dean, um, the humor. I, I, start. I want to start <laughs> off. Okay, I, I'll start off with Nate Torrance. He. Yes. I've seen that. You know, I've seen this guy. You know, in bit parts and things. You know, forever. This is the first mm-hmm. time I've really seen him. You know, as. For, you know, in a bigger part, and I got to tell you, I, I'm in love with this guy now. He, I don't know, you know, I'm in love with Sully, or if I'm in love with Nate Torrance, I don't know, <laughs> but I thought he was just so good. Sully is serious, one of my, seriously, one of my most favorite side characters the show has ever had, and it's mm-hmm. all because I think Nate Torrance just put so much heart into it, and he, mm-hmm. you know, he was just so good. You could just tell how much he loved Sam. And it, it, he was just amazing, and I really, really hope we see him on the show again. And I hope mm-hmm. Torrance gets invited to conventions because I want to meet him. He was awesome. Yes, I thought. And again, it could have been a part that could have been so overboard and and campy, and it wasn't. I mean, for mm-hmm. for what he was, I mean, it was completely believable about his how much he valued being Sam's friend and not just Sam's friend, but when he moved on to uh, anybody else. And then when, when the twin sister was killed by a car, that was, that was the end of him ever being a friend uh, again. And he's, he's in management now. 
and I mean he was he was funny he was he related to to Sam and the kids the other kids so well um he stood his ground when he needed to up against uh, uh Dean sometimes and I and but I agree with you Nate was fantastic just fantastic and yeah would love to see him at a convention and obviously, we're not the only ones who really like Nate Torrance because Jared did tweet that he wants the writers to bring Nate Torrance back. So, mm. obviously, impact in terms of the actors as well. Um, for me, it wasn't just... I loved... I mean, obviously, like, being a Sam girl, I loved that Sam had a friend, imaginary or not. Um, but I also... It was so awesome to think somebody care about Sam, wasn't it? Wasn't that awesome? Well, but here's my somebody, thing. somebody who's not Dean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My thing is, is with Sully, it wasn't just how much he cared about Sam. It was just how much he cared. Like, he was a yeah. really good friend to Susanna as well. Um, mm-hmm. He appreciated Dean the same way that Dean appreciated him. And, yes, mm-hmm. they both appreciated each other because of Sam, which for Dean feeling like he's the only being that can understand that. I think it was also important for Dean to realize that Sam isn't just important to him, that Sam is just important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, and and you know, he talks about Sam. Yeah, it is, it is arguably, well, yeah, and that is arguably the theme of the show. I mean, if you go back to season one, this is a show about, Technically, the show is framed as Sam's journey and Dean's observation of it. Dean is the audience. And while it has shifted a bit to be a little more even and then not so even and then, well, you know, whatever. But that is the framing of the show. And so I think it was really interesting to see Dean understand that he's not the only one. And I think it was important for Dean to see that, like, he he can't be everything to Sam, which I know coming from me is, like, blasphemy because I really, I'm one of those obnoxious people who's like, no, that everyone else can go away forever. I just want Sam and Dean. But, you know, for Dean to sit there and say, you know, when Sam says I was a lonely kid and Dean to not even understand that because... He doesn't. He just doesn't get it. You had me. He says, "You had me." <laughs> yeah, and and he's right. Well, not he always. Is, but but the thing is, is Sam had Dean emotionally, but because when you're 13, you have to go wherever your parents tell you. There's no options. So when he had to leave Sam, then. Sam was literally, I mean, there's a difference between being alone and lonely. And so mm-hmm. it wasn't just that Sam was alone, it's that without Dean, he was lonely. Right, because it sounds like at this point, Sam had not gone to a regular school yet, because Sully tells him, wouldn't you like to go to school, make friends, or maybe, because oh, when I you say back to school? In the future. Well, I just meant, I thought he meant like in the future, like future planning. That too. Because you can't, you can't not have a kid in school. And because I'm yeah. sure that John would be very worried about CPS. Uh, mm-hmm. Which I want to say, I know a lot of people had an issue with like 
Sam jump getting on a bus and going to another state. But like number one, it was what like nineteen ninety two. Yeah. And I also like that happens. I'm not saying it's right that parents do that, but parents do stick their kids on buses and planes and send mm-hmm. them off to their grandparents, their you know, their other parents yep. and aunt, whatever. It happens. It happens mm-hmm. less now in two thousand fifteen. Um, was it specifically but, said it was a different state? I don't remember that part. Well, he said he, Milwaukee. So why would he say Milwaukee? He says, oh, well, no, that's, that's a city. Uh, well, either way, I don't remember where they said they were. But the whole point of people were saying was, like, him getting on a bus alone. And I grew up, like, I'm Sam Winchester and I are the same age. And I'm, like, a year older than Sam Winchester. So... For, like, I grew up with kids who had to do that. I didn't do it because my mother was not having that. But mm-hmm. I, have friends, I have friends who had to get on buses and planes alone to go spend the summer with their grandmother, to go, you know, spend mm-hmm. a holiday with their aunt for whatever. Yeah, so it, it didn't strike me it unusual. No, it didn't bother me at all. Yeah, and also, no. in particular, as for Sam, Sam and Dean, they were doing stuff like that at a much younger age and handling it just because of the way they were raised and they traveled so much. They were on their own so much. They were used to taking care of themselves. So I didn't think anything of, of John telling Sam, get on the bus. And I and I saw, a lot of, I saw a lot of people take issue with, you know, would not have left Sam, and I'm like, again, at 13, you don't get a say. And yeah. you know, he was so dismissive of Sam, and I don't think he was dismissive. He was just, what was he going to do? He he did what he promised. Yeah, him. trying to know. And John is yeah. telling him, and no, John talking the horn, like, get on, get on the bus, Dean. You know, yeah, and John talking the horn, get a move on. Well, mm. and John isn't telling Dean no for Sam to be mean. It's indicative of the fact that Sam was more sheltered. Their neither brother was sheltered, but on the Winchester grading curve, Sam was more sheltered mm-hmm. than me. And it makes sense yep. that at nine years old, having just found out these things exist, because this is not that long after um, a very supernatural Christmas in terms of setting. Not that long after. Mm-hmm. So at this point, Sam just sees this as something, he's not burned by it. He's not jaded by it yet. It's not this terrible thing yet. It's, I want to do, it's an understanding of the way that Dean framed what John does and conversely what Dean does with John. It's Little boy framed want- as, it's, well, it's framed yeah. as something that's important. It's heroic. And so... Little- what nine little boys, boys want to do? Want to be like their dad and their big brother? Exactly. Little boys want to do what their mm. dad and their big brothers do, and mm-hmm. so yeah, of course he wanted to do it. That's what dad and Dean do. He wants to be dad and Dean. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. And, and he just I'll, broke like my heart telling honest. Dean all his his characteristics, all his qualifications. You know, I can I can run two miles. I can I can I know silver kills werewolves, and he was trying to convince Dean I'm ready. I'll be honest, I, uh, okay, so, 
Uh, and somebody who has a lot of headcanons in terms of, like, the Winchesters of kids and, like, pre-Stanford, and I'm very attached to those headcanons, and they mean a lot to me. However, I also understand that they are my headcanons and that the writers don't have to abide by those. So while in my head... I would prefer that Dean would like, nope, not going without Sam. He's staying here and screw off, Dad. But I also understand that that's, one, my point of view, and two, completely unrealistic. In terms of just storytelling and also previous canon, because we're, ta- we're taught from at season one that Dean was the good little soldier. He did what John told him to do, always whether it was out of respect, fear, not wanting to, you know, trying to be the peacemaker between Sam and John, it doesn't matter what the reason was. The fact is is that is canonically accurate. And so I was worried that this would be different than what we got, and I'm glad they framed it the way they framed it. And how awesome was um, the Dylan Kingwell or Kingwell? I'm sorry, I don't remember. Um, who played Little Sam? He was great. You know, we're, we're so used to I was Kingwell. Super worried, yeah, Kingwell. I was super worried about having like a non-Colin Ford Sam, Little Sam. I was right. super worried about it because yes. we're so attached. I mean, he's not the only Sam we've had, but we're all very attached to Colin Ford as Sam. But. Dylan was fantastic. I think they did, as once again, I think they did a fantastic job with casting. The only thing I will, mm. think, I will forever think is, like, ugh, such a frustrating thing for me, that I wish that Adam Glass would have been able to have his way with this, is that I will never understand how, in Bad Boys, we had, they, had, they made Adam change the script to make Dean older, Dylan Everett and Dean older, and yet, every time we see Dylan Everett Dean, he's actually younger than the last time we saw him. It drives me bonkers. I was I was surprised. He was totally to see... believable at thirteen. <laughs> this episode totally believable at thirteen, fourteen years old. I was so surprised to see Dylan Everett again as Dean. I wasn't expecting that. So I was like, hey, he's back. I was you know? either. They yeah. And Jim Michael said that they had to film, like, like really around his schedule that he wasn't technically available. But um, that but was a nice surprise. He, yeah, he he does, he's, he mm-hmm. does great as Dean. I really like him. Yes, me too. He's a he's a great cast. And I liked I liked Young Sam. Like I said, I agree. It was very it's very hard to watch a non Colin Ford Sam, but as good as Colin Ford is, he cannot play nine years old again. So, no, um, he, but he can play eighteen year old Stanford Sam. God, give that to me, please, somebody. Yes, yes. By somebody, I now mean Jenny Klein. <laughs> I'm gonna be real specific with that somebody. Jenny Klein, or go home. Nobody else touches. I know. I would love to see that. Um, Maybe maybe Andrew Dobb. Uh, I'll I'll, I'll, Mm. I'll expand Mm. to possibly Andrew Dobb because he has done decent uh, Wechesters before. Actually, quite good Wechesters before. Uh, 
But yeah, Jenny Klein, please, thanks. Everyone else, go home. I will genuinely say, and for anybody who listens to us regularly, they're going to be like, wow, this is probably my favorite episode in years. Years. Quite possibly from season seven. And I mean, like, the beginning of season seven. Like, I genuinely, I would have to rack my brain, but I cannot genuinely think of an episode in the from, like, mid-season seven to now that I've liked equally or more than this episode. Yeah, I just, I have, like, almost no even nitpick with this episode. It, it was wonderful episode. You, It's been a while that I've wanted to rewatch an episode, you know, pretty quickly, you know. I always, of course, mm-hmm. rewatch, you know, for the podcast, but I usually, I'll watch it, you know, on Wednesday night, and then I won't rewatch again until Saturday for the podcast. But, yeah, this one I rewatched first thing Thursday morning because I was like, I need to see that again because it was mm. so good. And I still, every time I watch it, we're going to, you know, I'm going to jump to the humor part. Oh, my God, the part where she's got sparkle on her face. That just <laughs> cracks me up every time. Yes. <laughs> somebody I've got to give it to that actress because, and to, and to everybody in the scene, actually, because can you imagine having to play that scene with, like, sparkle glitter, sparkle to your face? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, everyone for keeping a straight face. But I know the delivery of she had sparkle on her face. I thought there was such good line deliveries in this episode. Uh, Jensen at the beginning with, and I, there's an interview where she said it was his favorite line of the season, and I was like, yeah, I get it now. Of him saying he'll get his gun, but I really love you, me, library now in his dad yes. voice and the way that Jared played. Jared is really good at doing this. This thing which I find really fascinating, being that he's like nearly six foot five and solid muscle, mm. and you know, thirty three years old. But he does this thing where he can completely look like this tiny child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I it's love that about fascinating that to me. It's fascinating to me when he does it. He just completely folds in on himself and makes his face look completely young and soft. And he just and trudges away way, up those steps. Yeah. Put his, head, put, put his head down. Like, it's like, yes, sir. You know, yes, dad. Yeah, and it was completely like, I love, love, love Dean as dad. I love Dean as dad. You know, tying his robe with a, with a, you know, just like punching every tie and going, you know, you need to lie right now. And, yeah. and, dad and, and then he was my like, favorite mm. thing. Yeah, whether mm. it's a canon or fanon, dad Dean is one of my favorite things. And it reminded me of Richard Spate said once that Jensen talks in nouns and pronouns. And and he says, like, 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 uh, Jensen said he'd come to dinner to Richard, and he's like, uh, you know, you, me, steak, dinner, now. And and, (laughs) that just reminded me exactly of Richard Spate going, you know, Jensen talks in pronouns. So I wonder if that had anything to do with that scene uh, a, a little bit. Maybe, but yeah. apparently there, there, there is a, a con right now in Australia of Hall Briggs this Christmas, mm-hmm. and Richard say that he did allow a lot of uh, Jared and Jensen improving in this episode, which I always wish mm-hmm. I could see, I know what they, what they improv. Very rarely get to find out what, 
but I always suspect mm-hmm. that this show it could considerable amount on a consistent basis. Um, mm-hmm. Talking but, about um, where you were talking about how Jared has this ability to look, you know, make you think of him as a small child. I have to give props to him and Nate Torrance and Richard as a director for the scene in the garage, um, the big emotional scene there. Sam's sitting in the in the chair and uh, mm. Zoe is standing up, and the director, you know, Rich, you know, he he pulled it back. You know, the scene was from starts off, you know, so you see the whole room, and it really it showed, you know, from that you could see Sam as a little kid and Sully as the older friend and you know it really showed that from their from their you know their spotting how they're and how it was directed and then the way Sam would look up to him as he's talking and just and then just the acting in that scene was just amazing. Sam crying, you know, the tears coming to his eyes as he's talking about mm-hmm. what he thinks he has to do with the cage and Sully being there to support him, you know, and mm-hmm. saying, you know, and and using their game of um, ever think, you know, mm-hmm. to help him, you know, ever think of running away again, you know, and it, it was just so good. Mm-hmm. I also, since you mentioned running away, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, tweet Kenny's one again two more times. I loved that she. Again, I saw people complaining about Sam when he's run away at nine, and I'm like, okay, first of all, it's canon that he does run away later. Uh, mm-hmm. But also, like, between the ages of, like, seven and 17, kids, at least in their head, threaten to run away, like, once a week for, like, the dumbest stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just a constant thing. Like I grew up very, I grew up very well loved, very well taken care of, uh, very hands-on parents, uh, and I grew up comfortably. And I still was like, at I, at fifteen, I was like, how dare you not let me smoke cigarettes at my leisure? Ugh, I would, I'm still running away. Because your kids are kids don't their brain capacity is like that. Uh, However. You saying that though is one that brings up one thing that I was disappointed with with Sully was him encouraging a nine year old Sam to run away. That you know, I did not I like. Was talk, I was going to talk about that because I was before I watched the episode because I couldn't watch it live. Um, I was talking with a couple of people who had watched the episode because they they were East Coast and I didn't watch the episode and. and I didn't watch it on Wednesday at all because this was my birthday episode. So like, I'm really happy that I loved my birthday episode. Um, but I had things to do that day. Uh, but anyway, so I saw a lot of people talking about, like, mm, kind of sketchy about Sully. And I kind of, I agree and I don't. I agree with the, the time, with the moment you're saying because, like, What did Sully think? Like, technically, in this situation, Sully's the adult. So what did Sully think Sam was going to do in terms of, like, you know, food, shelter, money, those kind of things, you know, just the general things that a human being requires? Now, my other 
the other one was, you know, where he's saying in real time that he's encouraging Sam to go to the cage. And I didn't quite read it that way, but I get why other people did. I read it more as Sully saying, whatever decision you do make, it needs to be your decision, and I trust that you can do it. I don't necessarily read it as Sully telling Sam, yes, you should go to the cage. That said, I do feel like in a way that Sully should have technically discouraged it, or at least told Sam, you know, to, I don't know. It's a really weird thing because at the same time, Sam's going to do whatever he wants to do. And the way the Zana are set up, it's not so much the Zana are good influences technically. The way Sully says it is that they're there to provide the kid with confidence. So I have some mixed feelings about how I read it and how I can, like, justify my reading and how other people read it and my understanding of why they read it that way. Mm -hmm. Because I agree, him being like, yes, okay, let's run away, and then still kind of discouraging Sam from doing what Sam originally wanted to do anyway. I I saw that discussion, and I, I I was okay with Sully going along with running away with Sam because... It was Sam's idea, and the and the imaginary friends, the Xanas, are there for the kids. They're supposed to be there for them, to support them, take care of them. Um, they're the friends of the kids, and he thought, well, better with him than not with him, and if I can't discourage him, I'll at least go with him. And I also think since they're the friends of the kids, the kids sort of project onto them in some way, of what they want and how they want them to be. And they're all about the kids. They're not about maybe what's exactly right to do. They're there for the kids. So that's why I I was okay with him. It wasn't his idea, but he but him being there for Sam and saying, you're going to run away? Okay, we'll, we'll do it. Because that's what Sam yeah, wanted. Yeah, I didn't have a problem. I didn't have a problem with him being like, okay, let's do it. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. he's the one who gives Sam, like, you know, he tells Sam you can do it, and Sam's like, let's do it. My issue came mm-hmm. more with later when Sam wants to, uh, when he gets the call from John that he can come and Sam wants to go, and Sully discourages him from that, and his alternative is, I thought we were running away together. So mm-hmm. my question for that would be more, was the problem with Sully and Sam that Sully was sort of, and I hate to say this because I like the character, but I'm not sure how much I like the character is the character itself or Nate Torrance playing the character, so and projection, and I recognize that. Uh, it was almost an implication that Sully was too close to Sam and at the detriment to Sam, like he was more like, well, I'd rather it just be me and Sam than what's best for Sam. Mm-hmm. I didn't see it. I didn't see it that way. I saw it as so what? How I where the way what I didn't like about it was, I just thought he thought 
the hunting life was not good for Sam. Sam needs to stay away from the things that his dad and Dean do because it's dangerous. So, to for you know, so Sully, who's looking out for Sam, doesn't want Sam to do that dangerous job. So he's encouraging to, him to get away from it, to run away. But running away as a nine-year-old, what's he going to do? He doesn't have a house. He doesn't have a job. He doesn't anybody have anybody. You know, he can't even feed himself. And so, you know, I wonder if just Sully, maybe because he's a Xana and they seem to be, you know, immature so they can, you know, match up with the kid, basically. I wonder if basically he just did not know what, you know, if he, well, what Sam would need. And see, my thing is, is, aside from Sully, I don't think like the Xana were immature. I think quite the opposite. Like, if you look at each one of them, you had Sparkle telling, I can't remember the little character's name, but... Maddie. Yeah, the Maddie. little girl wanted, yeah, she wanted to blow off her parents and and be like, ha-ha, you know, I'm doing what I want. You all eat cereal for dinner because I'm busy. And Sparkle's like, you know what, no, go with your parents, I'll clean up. And then you have Nikki who reminds Hi. her child... You know, you have, you know, yes, I see, yes, I see what you see, and we can play, but you have gymnastics. And then you have Weems, who is taking care of his child, not only in terms of, like, the embarrassment of wetting the bed and obviously wash the sheets for him and going to hang them up, but also that child had an alcoholic mother. So I didn't get the feeling that Zana themselves are immature. Well, um, I got the feeling that it was more of a sully issue. That's, and that's kind of what I'm trying to say, except I'm not very, I'm not as good at, with words as you are. Uh, you know that. That's why you're the writer and I'm the list maker. Um, but um, the Xana, you know, they their whole job was to get the kids ready to be off on their own and not need the imaginary friend. So that's why I liked that they showed that Sparkle was saying, no, you need to go off with your parents because that's saying, you know, look, this is what you need to, you know, to be not need me, you know, and you need to do this. Same way with the mermaid. The mermaid was saying, you know, doing, you know, no, you don't need to stay with me all the time. You need to go to gymnastics. So, you know, it's kind of the same way. But whereas with Sully, he, you know, I thought, you know, I thought as he thought the best thing for Sam was getting out of the hunting life, to get out of the hunting life is to run away. And then once Sam's off on his own, he won't need Sully. But yet... I genuinely thought that there was going to be a line like you're saying. I really did. And once there wasn't a line like that, I kind of reevaluated my my interpretation of the characters. Because I genuinely thought that the conversation we were going to get in the the garage or barn um, was going to be something like Sully saying... It wasn't that I wanted you to run away from your responsibilities. It's that I worried about the hunting lifestyle. But then we didn't get a line like that. And so I sort of reevaluated the way I felt about the character. And then, you know, you get Weems prior to that saying, you know, you broke Sully's heart. And you get the flashback. And so I wonder if it was more that Sully 
kind of like he tells Sam, you know, I was I was wrong. My interpretation of you was completely wrong. And I wonder if that was more of a selfish thing on Sally's part. Mm. My only issue with that is that then in that case, like it, it kind of puts Sally in this place where he's just kind of a screw up because he screwed up with Sam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and then you have. Oh, yes. This is where I was conflicted. Same thing. Because <laughs> I love him so much. They were always not really great at his job. <laughs> not great at his job. And, and he got Reese's sister killed by accident. No, but, you know, he should have no, known that's that the street. What? Now that said, stereotypically, I'm not saying this is a fact, it applies to everyone, but stereotypically, and especially in terms of, like, crafting a character in stereotypes, you tend to always have where an empathic character is genuinely not a responsible character or an empathic person is genuinely an irresponsible person. Of course, again, not always, and it's not a rule, but it's a stereotype. And so I did kind of wonder if because they made Sully so empathic that he was heart, not head. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, because we do find out that he's in management not so much because he's so good, but because he screwed up and got, you know, whether it's because he took himself off the field or he got pulled from the field, it's not that he moved himself up the ranks to management. Mm. And he's I thought he took himself well, out of the field. Yeah, but I mean, it's one of those, I, you know, I mean, in terms of like thinking about it in a reality way, like you can get fired or you can be asked to put your resignation in. It's the same thing, mm-hmm. but one sounds better. So, mm. I mean, you really can't say, okay, I, I take myself out of the field. I'm going to be a manager now. I don't think any job works that way, even if you're a Zana. <laughs> Usually you get demoted. Uh, but you get the idea that Sully is obviously well-liked, and he's... You know, like he was checking in on Sparkle. He, uh, you know, he automatically thought of Nikki. Like, well, you know, Nikki didn't check in, so he wanted to check on her. Like, obviously, his, like I said, his heart is in the right place, but that doesn't necessarily mean like his head is in the right place. Which is yeah, true for just about anybody. I mean, if you look at Sam, Sam's struggle as well, and it's a nice, it's an interesting parallel that. Sam feels like he's responsible to go back to the cage because he thinks God is telling him to and it's the way to get rid of the darkness and et cetera, et cetera. That doesn't mean it's, you know, and then you have Dean going, yeah, no, no, I don't like this plan at all. I don't like this idea at all. And as the audience and as Dean, because Dean is the audience, we're also going, yeah, bad idea. That's actually a really dumb idea. Let's not do that, Sam. And of course, like, let's be logical. It's, it's fake, so Sam's going to go to the cage. Let's be real. It's going to happen. But mm. as the audience and as Dean, we're going, no, that's a terrible idea. Mm. So well, it's Dean's a year between talk, Sully you know. and Sam that it's hard overhead again. Mm. I will say that I like Sully because it's so rare that we get somebody doing this that you know, Sully mentioning that Sam saved the world. And I like that he said, mm. I can't get on my kid. 
Now, I'm a yeah. little conflicted about checking on my kids because clearly you are not checking in on Reese because, oh, bonkers, Mr. Bonkers, Kirsten. But um, um, that's true. But obviously, you know, obviously Sarah was one of, if not obviously his number one favorite, so I kind of get that. But, um, you know, we get so much of every of side characters telling Sam what a screw-up he is. We rarely get anyone telling Sam that he's a hero, that he saved yeah. the world. Mm-hmm. That was nice to hear. Or seven seasons ago. I can't do math. Six seasons. Whatever yeah. five feet, whatever, whatever now minus one song is, that time frame. That happened about a year ago. You know, it's about time somebody said it, and so, yeah, Mm -hmm. it it was great to hear. And the other thing, um, I don't know, maybe I missed it, but how on earth, and this is the the only two things about the whole episode that bothered me was, one, Sully encouraging a nine-year-old Sam to run away, and here's the other one. How on earth did Dean find the blue Volkswagen. Fine, Reese. Oh, that that was one of my problems. Because with this. it was Dean Winchester, duh. Well, <laughs> duh, yes, but well, <laughs> okay. I mean, like he but, says, like he says, woman in a in a car that's terra firma that I can do. I mean, it is established that Dean is an A plus tracker. So, I mean, basically, I mean, like, yeah, but yeah, that that I mean, I, like, I, I wow, can, you went right to her, <laughs> just well, like Sam walked right, right to Dean in the, in the season premiere. You know, it's like no, and I get it because of you know the episode and the constraints and all that. Yeah, but it's, like, it's, hmm, it's that same, it's that same Dean, you know, time frame hmm. suspension of belief that I had to do with that episode as well. Where it's like. Yeah, you don't really have a home device, but I'll let it go. Whatever. <laughs> I can actually accept it more in this episode than I can in the season premiere of Sam Finding Dean. It just felt yeah. like he, you know, because at least I can, like I can at least say that there were tr- maybe there were tire treads to follow. I would like to believe. Yeah. That she or she wanted to be found. Volkswagen. Volkswagen. Or she yeah, wanted she to be did. found. She you know, is. very, very much. So she made. So she probably like put it away and left her car out somewhere. So you know, but she I'd like to believe that Dean can look tire tracks and go. That's a Volkswagen bug. Yeah. I will follow it. So that's the be with It felt very much to me. It felt very much to me like he, you know, left where Sam and Sully was, went down the road, was like, oh hey, there it is. <laughs> you know, that, that's what it felt like to me. Yeah. Hey, yeah it, did, it did read that way in terms of television, but we don't actually know how much time. Yeah, and again, yeah. how far was she going to get? Because they, you know what? Here's my actually my only my nitpick is similar but different. Why does Sully? When they were going to look for Weems anyway, why does Sully drive in the car with Sam and Dean? Hmm. We already know he can teleport. Well, that's I, true. Think I think basically it was just for company kind of thing. Yeah, yeah quite and possibly, but it was one of those things where like, what, what? <laughs> Why are you in the car? Why are you so? <laughs> yeah. And my other, my other kind of nitpicks kind of follow, follow from, follow from Dean saying, um, you know, a chick in a car, that's my 
terra firma. And also, she Reese clocks Dean on the head, which is a nice change from Sam getting clocked on the head and passing <laughs> out. And he's <laughs> and he and he's tied up, like and and of course Reese is the one who texts Sam to come. Doesn't doesn't he have a passcode on his phone where not just anybody? Well, no, can not everybody text. does. Like my mother, my mother has her passcode disabled because it annoys her. Well, you'd think Sam and Dean would have it just by the nature of their job, and it's happened to them before. But maybe, I maybe mean, she just yes, made the, the the unconscious Dean's thumb on his on his phone, and it and it's unlocked that way. So okay. Um, I mean, I could also way. see that if you're a hunter and you have to get a hold of somebody really quick, having to make sure that you tap yeah, on those four digits way. right the first time, it's kind of like mm-hmm. that's two seconds mm-hmm. that might life. So you can fudge it either way. Yeah, it could be that's a true thing or it can be logical. Um, yeah. Same thing I feel like with Sully riding in the car. I can fudge it with it being like he doesn't want to be alone. He wants to go he mm-hmm. be the ride. But um, yeah. the other thing and that it, it actually kind of kind of is a little thread through the whole episode for me. Dean, Dean says you know like Sully's the weirdest thing ever and, and goes on and I'm like Dean, you like you fight monsters. You see weird things every I single day. And I took it more of like a bitter jealousy thing. And also there's a difference between like scary weird and just like being that weird. Where well, because it's personal, weird. it's Sam's weird. It's it's Sam's imaginary friend. Is I took it more that like Dean, Dean has to wrap. Yeah, I it as part of like at, where as an audience member I like seeing that there is somebody in addition to Dean that cares for Sam that deeply but I can also see where for Dean that's threatening and so while, he is, actually, while he is admitting that Sully was, a, was there for Sam it may not be the easiest pill for him to swallow so yeah, I took it more of a like a begrudging uh, truce kind of thing not so much a literal like you are literally the weirdest thing I will ever encounter. And it was more like being way of begrudgingly throwing but out the But he also made those similar I, comments about Sparkle, the, the Sparkle, the Manicorn, and, and the others who was no threat at all. Oh, and like or, when he says, or, you know, what do we just do, get a giant toilet and flusher? And he even goes, okay, a bridge too far. And again, I think it was more that it was personal for Dean, that he was having trouble... I think that Dean has trouble with things that are when it's 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 canon. The idea when things are not black and white and good and bad and you know, it's not something that Dean does well with because he likes a clear mission. So for this for for Dean for this episode, it's such a flip of what he usually deals with where he's saving the preternatural creature from from a human. And that's not mm. really his bad. Um, so it goes back to you know, when we talk about earlier seasons with Sam telling Dean, you know, we're not going to kill Lenore because she's trying. And Dean's like, yeah, no, no, she's a vampire. Vampires die. That's what we do. So I think it's very consistent with Dean in terms of how he compartmentalizes things in order to cope. Um, going back to where you said that you felt like Dean felt threatened, I actually didn't feel it that way. 
to me, I felt, you know, watching, because Dean very much watched and paid attention to how Sully talked to Sam and how he was protective of Sam. I felt, I completely felt that Sam, that Dean was grateful for it. And no, I mean, that's why I say it was a begrudging acceptance at the end. But up until, like, the first, uh, not quite half of the episode, but nearly half of the episode, I did get the idea that Dean was, was so rude about it and the case about towards Sully and the case in general because it's like he says, when Sam says, I was a lonely kid and Dean's like, you had me. It's that Dean can't understand from Sam's point of view, that Sam is lonely because Sam, Dean did all he could. That doesn't mean that Dean is perfect, and he could be—he couldn't be there every every second of every day. He's not possible. But that is what Dean wishes he could do. That's what he's always tried to do. So I can see where reminds- for Dean it was like, but wait a minute, I wasn't enough. And then having to it realize re- that, like, it's not that he wasn't enough; it's that. There were gaps that somebody had to fill because reasons outside of Dean's control, he couldn't be there. It reminded me very much of the scene um, from season four with Ruby uh, when Sam's telling how Ruby basically saved his life while Dean was gone. And um, when they show back up there at the barn right before Uriel and Castiel come in, um, and Dean tells Ruby, basically tells her, you know, thanks for helping Sam. And, you know, it, it reminded me a whole lot of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Thanks and, for and taking care of Sam when I couldn't. Right. And it is something that he had to do, again, begrudgingly because mm-hmm. he didn't want that for several reasons. He didn't want to have to admit that. But the fact is, is that in his absence, there was somebody who did the best they could. Not perfect, just the same way that Dean's not perfect. So Ruby, not perfect. Sully, not perfect. Dean, not perfect. But Sam, not perfect. And I like that Sam also says that at the end. You know, being Mm -hmm. a girl doesn't mean you're perfect. And I like the acknowledgement of that. And so Mm -hmm. I do feel like, I do feel like that. On a layered level, because I do think that, like, there's got to be a part of Dean that is maybe not resentful, but just jealous in a way. And I feel like that's normal. That's human. Sure. Fine. Doesn't bother me. Like I said, he's he's used to being Sam's everything. So when Sam yeah. ventures out a little bit, it's like, hey, hey, wait. <laughs> because, you know, Dean... It's that even even younger, he's got dad. I mean, we know that Dean's very good at fitting in and making friends and all that, uh, but but it's all sort of surface ish and right. Um, and and so Sam is everything. To be an FBI agent. Sorry. I said it's all it's all an illusion. It's similar to how he pretends to be an FBI agent. Mm-hmm. He can fake it for a few minutes. But I also equate it to similarly, like, I mean, this is a really shallow example, but, like, when Becky has a friend named Becky, 
and they go to conventions together that I can't go to. And there is always a part of me that's like, but I want to go. How come you get to go and I don't get to go? But, like, on the other hand, I'm also glad that Becky's not going alone. She has, like, her other best friend to go with her. She doesn't have to, like, balance that out in, like, a real-life way. Where, like, on a personal level, I'm kind of jealous and resentful, but not, like, really. Just kind of that little, like, left out feeling. And so that's kind of like the way I equate it to, to Dean, where it's just that that there's a part of somebody else that you don't have access to, that you don't quite under, like it's just not in your control. Aww. So like, it's like semi-shallow comparison because it's convention going, but the same theory. Mm. I love you. <laughs> I love you too, obviously. <laughs> and you know, and, and you know, in terms of like the, the three of us as well, like we've never been to a con together while knowing each other. Mm-hmm. We all went to the Chicago, the first Chicago con, but we didn't know each other at all. And the three of us did not know mm-hmm. each other. And since then, nope. and now knowing each other for several years. We've never, all three of us, got to go to a con. And, like, in terms of Winchester Bros as a whole, there's four of us, and I'm the only one that's met Lisa. So it's that kind of thing where you're just like, again, you have to to section off your life through no control of your own. And it's not that I don't want you, it's not like I don't want you to not have met Lisa and had fun. It's like, I wanted to be there too. You know, it's not that right. I don't and want to be her. Yeah. I just want to be there too. And I want, you know, so it's, exactly. that's, that's what it is. So, yeah. like for Dean, it's 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 this thing that like, and and I can actually take it as, as as a further example within the episode. Like for Reese and Audrey, they both got to see Sully. Sully was their imaginary friend mm-hmm. versus Sam where Sully only allowed Sam to see him. So for Reese and Audrey, this was the thing they could share. And for Sam and Jean, it was actually, you know, Dean just thought it was just, Dean thought Sam was being a normal, annoying kid. Most kids have an imaginary yeah. friend. I didn't, but I know most kids did. I didn't either. My cousin Holly, though, um, she had an imaginary friend named TC, and I mean, she could tell you stories. I mean, it, it was it was crazy when she was little. He he drove a red car, a red shiny fancy car, and where we live here, because she lived here um, pretty close to where I live now when she was little. There's this like these people have this little. It looks like a little bitty, like maybe a Hobbit house kind of sticking out of the uh, side of a hill. But it's like a storage building, but it's really cute. And according to Holly, that's where TC lived. And you know, she she could tell you all kinds of stories. And yeah, that's really that's really the only imaginary friend that I've ever personally dealt with was my cousin Holly's. And hmm. but it it was it was something. I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, I've had I've had little cousins. My little cousins when I used to sit for them that would have like again that whole like. You know, we get in the beginning with Sparkle, you know, that whole my imaginary friends and my tea party kind of thing. Um, 
and I get why kids have to do it because your parents can't always sit there and, you know, play tea party with you, um, especially if you're mm-hmm. an only child. I'm an only child. My mother did, could not play Candyland with me constantly, so I would play Candyland against myself, which the only difference is, is I didn't have an imaginary friend to do it with. Like, I was very conscious of the fact that I was playing alone and against myself versus conjuring up an imaginary opponent or just an imaginary companion. But I've had cousins who have done it, and I do think that it's quite prevalent in only children. And Sam, like he says, being lonely has that only child kind of feeling. Or when you're, you know, like I said, you know, they're obviously Dean didn't have a choice a lot of the time, and I don't think it's the only time. In order for Sam to say, ask him if I can come this time, this is obviously not the first time he gets left. And we do have from the pilot where you have Sam saying, you know, when he told Dad that I was afraid of the thing in the closet, he gave me a four, he gave me a 45. So you have to kind of break that down in terms of time frame that once Sam found out uh, right after after school special, not that very soon after Christmas, what was going on, it's not like Dean hid from John that he informed that that Sam now knew and Sam had found out and he had explained it to Sam further. There's no way that Dean hid that. He told John. So in that time frame, you have to think about, like you have to put your own headcanon and fill that time frame in. And for me, filling that in entails, you know, that part of of Sam now being, them not having to hide it from Sam means in John's head, well, then Sam is old enough to be left alone because we don't have to hide from him where we're going. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I know, you know, again, I wasn't left alone at nine years old. I wasn't left alone at 16 years old because that's just how my mother was. But I had friends or people that I went to school with that were left alone at seven, eight, nine years old. It happens. I'm not saying it's Mm. good parenting, but it does happen. Mm. I'm, I'm an only child and I had, I had imaginary friends. I was little. (laughs) They were not last week. (laughs) And um, <laughs> <laughs> even if they were, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> um, and and we all need to help you. We all need to up every now and then. Yeah, if there is one person out there that tells me they do not have conversations with themselves in the shower, sometimes mm. arguments, then you're lying to me. So that's a form yeah. of imaginary friend. <laughs> We all do. My, I, I have, have three of them. I've been arguing in the shower with myself. Yeah, and it's funny because they were there were three of them, and they were older women, and I and I they had last names. I called them Misses. You know, you think with my friends they would, they would be less informal, but and then we we would have like tea parties. <laughs> my mom would like talk to them as well occasionally. But but you're right. If you're an only kid, you gotta. You have imaginary friends. You got to be entertaining. Your mom and dad can't be right there every second to play tea parties or whatever you're playing. And and 
yeah, yeah, it was it's okay. You know, and I was yeah. never left alone that young either, but I knew people or kids who were. So, yeah, it's, I'd say it's not the best decision, you know, always, but it happens. I will tell you this, though. Uh, Anybody out there remembers the game Guess Who? Let me tell you that yeah. it's one hard game to play against yourself. <laughs> because you yeah, know the that answer. Was a... <laughs> you know both answers. <laughs> <laughs> so, but we, you know, you, you find, everybody finds some kind of coping mechanism. It's a very, it's a very human thing to do, and having an imaginary friend is a coping mechanism. So, in Sam's case, mm-hmm. even though it's real, obviously, Zana appeared to kids that are sending out that kind of energy. So, they provide that coping mechanism for kids, and in Sony's case. While he technically failed with Sam, he didn't because he gave Sam the confidence to tell him, go away, I don't need you anymore. It's just that Sully wasn't ready for it, and Sam was kind of harsh about it. Mm. But Sam was harsh about it because Sully wasn't letting him, wasn't letting go. So in a way, at that time frame, Sully did do his job. Because Sam was able to say, I don't need you anymore. Um, it's just, again, we get back to emotional versus cerebral, where Sully wasn't ready to go. I find One thing I do find interesting, though, is that Sam didn't remember Sully at first, but Dean did. Mm-hmm. And I thought that I, was super interesting. Yeah, and he mentioned that, that was again. It shows it, again. It shows how how much of Sam. You know, again, there's a difference between being alone and being lonely. So while Sam felt lonely, Dean's perception is, is that he knows everything about Sam. It's all cataloged. It's all in him. So you know, the minute Sam mentions. His imaginary friend being like, "Oh yeah, Sully, your dumbass, dumbass imaginary friend. Your your dumbass." Which I love friend. that I'm not dumb or ass. Um, <laughs> yeah, but um, I love that whole sequence. I love Sam getting up, walking all the way down the, the bunker corridor. You're not at first. You're not sure who's who's there, who's following him, um, and then it's scary, and then it turns into a very humorous sequence and I I love Sam startled and punching <laughs> poor Sully not realizing like you said who he was right away and then Dean comes by and it just struck me Dean is like so calm he's like who are you talking to? You know? I love that. Are you having a stroke? Do you smell toast? <laughs> I love the way they like I said so many good line deliveries in that in that in yeah. that in this episode but in that sequence because when yeah. Sam punches Sully Sully just takes it. And he's even so like, if I'm not real, then how did you punch me? Like, he's not even upset mm-hmm. that Sam punched him. He's like, oh, Sam. Because, <laughs> you know, I don't want to ever get punched by Sam Winchester. No, thank you. Pushed against the wall? Mm-hmm. Sure. Punched? <laughs> nah. Pass. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I love Dean okay. saying, do you, do you smell toast? And that is actually a fairly common thing of a lot of people who are having a stroke. They smell toast 
before it happens. Well, and I could also see where Dean would know that. I, I love, hmm, okay, so I love when, when Dean has references that don't irritate me. <laughs> and, and, and let me back up. So there are times when we get Dean references that I just find really well. There's damning with faint praise if I've ever heard it. Right? There are there are references that they give Dean that I don't that I don't like because I don't understand how he knows them. Like uh, it's in season nine, I think, where he references uh, the Hunger Games and Katniss Everdeen. And mm-hmm. I don't, for me, with all that goes on in their lives, for him to know something so timely is irritating to me. However, in this episode, all his references are very, you know, 80s, 90s references, 70s. So he's referencing Morgan Mindy. He's referencing The Little Mermaid. He's referencing Drop Dead Fred, which was oh, one of my favorite movies, and that was such a good reference right there. Um so I like when these references are, are older references because they make more sense to me when he, than when he references newer things. Mm. Which is like a super, super nitpicky thing. And again, such a backhanded compliment because I'm complimenting Jenny Klein while telling everybody else they, they suck. But that's mm. what I do. Um, one other thing I want to know. I w- it, it just pissed me off that... Sam sets an alarm for six thirty. He doesn't have a job. Why are you setting an alarm? I was about to bring that up because I saw so many people bring up like, why is Sam awake at six thirty? I mean, there's nothing wrong with having a schedule, and I feel like Sam would be the kind of person that would get up, have like a balanced breakfast, and go work out, go for his run. Like that, he would. What I don't understand. Yeah. Is, he set the alarm, so why is he looking at the time? You know what time you set your alarm for. And Unless he snoozed already a few times and he needs to know what time it is right then. I mean, possible. Possible. Maybe. Um, yeah. Because also, he didn't put nearly enough water in that coffee pot. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I love coffee. I don't understand like, why you're confused irritated that there is no water in the coffee pot to begin with. So, like, why does that irritate you? Um, but, I mean, my my parents are retired, and they still get up somewhere around, like, 7, 7.30 in the morning, like, start their day, especially my dad. My dad is like that. Like, he gets up makes his coffee, mm-hmm. has a balanced breakfast, takes a shower. Like, it's very, and I'm like, dude, you've been, like, you've been retired forever now, like, sleeping already. Mm. But no. Yeah, I can see Sam keeping a schedule. I mean, if everything else in your life is so insane, sometimes it helps to, like, have a couple normal things. Like, I get up at this time, I make coffee, I go for a run. It's, like, not much, but it's some kind of a little bit of normalcy. Um, I thought also that Sam Sam was getting up tired, like he hadn't gone to bed that long ago. You know, he gets up and he drives well, I mean, down the hall and he's still yawning. I mean, it's pretty much canon for us that they don't sleep, mm-hmm. you know, eight hours. But I also, like, I got the feeling that, like, 
it's not so much that Sam woke Dean up. I don't feel that that way because I don't feel like I mean it's not like mm-hmm. Dean, not like Sam was screaming or anything. So when Dean walks in, he does say like very calmly, like "Who are you talking to?" But he doesn't walk in like. He wa- he doesn't walk in like he's coming to Sam's aid. He was up too, so obviously this is just a thing they yeah. do. They get up at thirty in the morning. Mm-hmm. Still in, so, still in his I jammies. Mean, I love Dean in his jammies and a robe. Again, why wear a robe? <laughs> you know? Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, because that was a thing of mine. So yeah, like obviously he. This is the time they get up because if Dean had come rushing to Sam's side, he wouldn't have paused to put on a robe. So for some, whatever reason, the Winchester and slippers get up at thirty in the morning. Yeah, they get up at six thirty in the morning. Slippers. I think it's Dean deep. and bedroom slippers. Dean and bedroom slippers. I guess it's, one it's of sort of deep. crotchety, grumpy grandpa, grandpa, you know, dad Dean because he's got his robe and his slippers and I don't know. It it, it I don't and it goes back to makes me laugh. And again, I'm very I'm get very nitpicky about quirks that they give Dean. Um, I'm rarely nitpicky about quirks they give Sam because let's be real, the writers don't give Sam very many quirks to begin with. Yeah, that's shade, whatever. Um, but I feel like Dean doing the whole robe and slippers thing harkens back to, you know, when you get season one and his steam showers kind of thing. But Dean, because he didn't grow up with creature comfort, he really likes creature comforts. So you know, they moved into the bunker and Dean put up his albums, he put up pictures, like, I, you know, when he lived with Lisa, he very much was able to adapt to getting up and making breakfast and puttering around in his track pants and things like that. So I think that Dean, despite, it's, it's one of those things where when you didn't have it, you really appreciate it when you do. So he didn't have those kind of things growing up and even in his early 20s or, you know, even in his early 30s, let's be real. And so now that he does, you know, he quite enjoys having a home and having a robe and having slippers and just doing, like, what he perceives are, like, normal homeowner things. Does that make sense? I think about this. Well. Well. Sorry, everyone. Yeah, I, I really. Again, these are the these are the same conversations I have with myself in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> I argue these things in the shower, and so now, much like Dean, I'm all about a shower. I did really find that line really funny. Like the family that showers together, and I love telling you, like, pull up, pull up, too far, too far. Yeah. <laughs> I love that too. <laughs> well, and I, I love too. it again. Again, canonically, Dean was his obsession with showers. <laughs> like, you really <laughs> like showers, don't you? You are all and about it. Here's a, and an interesting thing about it, and the fact that you also mentioned the steam shower, is Carrie Genzel, who played the mom of the of Maddie, who had sparkled a friend, was in Bugs, the episode this That's um, why she looks familiar. Yeah. She was the realtor, Linda, who was killed yes. by the spiders in the shower in that episode. No <laughs> wonder she looks so familiar. Oh, that is funny now. Yes, shower. Yeah. I like a good scene. So she, oh. yeah, <laughs> she does not. She does not do well with showers. So she, no, <laughs> no. Uh, in a 
Speaking of inappropriate things like, you know, a a family shower, does anybody else realize that they imply that Sam and Dean changed in the car together? I was wondering about that myself. (laughs) Right there in front of the house, you know, did they change right there in front of the house where the people in the house could see them changing the clothes? Or hopefully not. That That was a small change. Yeah, like it's not like a small change. Like that was a full wardrobe change. And I'm like, y'all changing the, sh- yeah. the car together? Mm, I don't know. Dress about pants, that. socks, shoes. I I wondered about that as well. I'm like, did they drive around the corner, around the block, somewhere, change clothes, and then drive yeah. back around? But again, they changed in the car together. Focus on what I'm saying. You all are worried about see them. I worry about them changing together. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm hoping that they just the drove to the local the gas. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm hoping they just yeah. drove to the local gas station and changed. So <laughs> I just thought that I thought that was funny because I was like, wait a minute, did you just do what I think you did? Um, In the middle of the afternoon, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. sure too. It's like, I also really I, like, I think they do. That doesn't bother. I me. really like the deviation because again, the three of us have talked about it before how it's just so redundant with the FBI suits and that we mm-hmm. never see them do anything else before where we did in the early seasons we saw maintenance men, we saw priests, we saw firemen. Mm-hmm. And so I really like them doing something different. Um, I also love that Jenny Klein had tweeted, like, she didn't realize that fandom was going to freak out over sweaters. She just wanted to do something different and she thought sweaters were kind of funny. And meanwhile, we're all going, look at them in their grandpa sweaters. It's so hot. We are that mm-hmm. fan, and we're like, grandpa sweaters are one layer. So hot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Welcome I love the But I love the sweaters, and I really want Dean sweater. That looks super comfortable. Yeah. You know, and Dean, and, and I, do have, I do have slight nitpicks in terms of, like, wow, those were really nice shoes, too. Because I just, I'm still of that mind of like, I miss the days of the cheap suits that we have because they yeah. don't have money. So, on one hand, I'm like, those are good. Those are nice shoes. On the other hand, I'm like, those are really nice shoes and slacks. Why do you have those? How did you get those? Mm-mm. I but really, that's been my, really that's been my nitpick about the FBI, suit, FBI suits for a long time now. Back in season two, and they wear a jacket with a sh- mismatched shirt with a mismatched tie and yeah, I miss those days. And the jackets were poor and the, the suits were poorly fitted. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and now everything's like super tailored to them. And I get you know, I get it in terms of like the show has a better budget now and but it does add to a weird because it's not it's not even just that they have nice suits for the fact that they don't have money. Like they have nice suits in general. Like I've met FBI agents. I have FBI agents in my family. They don't have suits that nice, guys. They don't. Mm-hmm. No. Reminds me but, of Mulder, who who dressed way out of an FBI FBI agent's budget for suits. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you Same know, thing with like, you know, when you watch Bones and uh, I just forgot the name of the bigger Boreanaz's character. Booth. Sealy Booth. Yeah, like those are really nice suits, bro. Mm-mm. Uh, but you know, whatever it's TV. But it's, it's a different thing, though. In terms of, hmm? he's married to Temperance now, and she's like very extremely rich. So, yeah, but he wasn't married to her in season one. 
Very true. But mm-hmm. and I and I can actually suspend my belief more for a show like Bones or you know Law and Order and, and things like that than I can for Supernatural in terms of that because at least those people have a steady paycheck. So like maybe you like I don't have a lot of money, but there are certain things that I have that are really nice because I budget for them like my handbags, my makeup, my jewelry. So I could get that if you have a steady paycheck. Sam and Dean don't, and we don't even know that they, like, they don't even tell us that they're scanning credit cards anymore. Like, I literally have no idea why they have money. How do you have money? And how do you have a lot of money? I'm so confused. I need, I need at least one episode where they mention something about why they have money. But, you know, it's not going to happen. I recognize mm-hmm. it's not going to happen. I'm overthinking it. But still, it bothers me. So on one hand, I was like, you guys look good. On the other hand, I was like, you look too good for being broke. Okay. Yeah, we we need a, we need an episode of them, you know, out gambling, you know, playing pool, you know, making some money. Just in a throwaway would be fine. A throwaway line. I would, I would give the firstborn child that I'm never going to have. So this is an empty promise, and nobody wants a free kid anyway. Uh, <laughs> to whatever writer gives me Dean hustling pool and Sam hustling at poker. Or both, or vice versa, or them like hustling mm-hmm. together. Like, give me this. Somebody, give me it. My my head thing is, I think I've mentioned it before, is that the men of letters like stockpiled money and that sort yeah, of thing and hid it in the bunker before they moved to the bunker. It's been a problem. Since no, I'm saying that only works for the last couple of years in the bunker. But yeah. before that, yes, I I miss them like. Though they did have gold from the dragons. They had a little bit of gold from the dragons episode. Definitely going to last so long. That was one time. But, yeah. Especially I, when I, you're I buying like designer suits and Italian leather shoes. This is true. Indeed. <laughs> um. <laughs> but, you know, again, that's nitpicky, and I recognize that. And, you know. Yeah. On one, hand, on one hand, they wear the clothes really well, so you can't get too mad. I know those sweaters. They they looked amazing. I love that. I hope that's not the last we see of uh, of the child services. Um, well, and again, uh, like covers you know, because I loved those sweaters. They looked great. A couple of seasons ago, when Jensen we had and Grandpa Ackles, this is Grandpa Ackles' sweater. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so you know, again, we had a couple seasons ago where Sam goes to the library and he's wearing the sweater vest. So I mm-hmm. do like. To I do like to see it changed up a bit, but I do think it's funny that Jenny Klein was like, I did not realize you guys were going to totally spaz about that. Interesting. <laughs> and I like that she, the other reason I like that she said that is because I think as a fandom, we get, and not just our fandom, any fandom, we tend to think that the writers are really concerned with what we think and say, and it goes to show mm-hmm. you that they're not. <laughs> you know, they are um... quite isolated. I do think that some writers are. And and I really appreciate that Jenny Klein said that in terms of, like, I'm glad that it wasn't something she did consciously. I know there are some writers who do write for fandom. Again, not just our fandom, but in any fandom. Um, And I'm not, like, the biggest fan of that in any show I watch. So I guess that's part of, again, me projecting on on why I like that Jenny Klein said that. I just really like Jenny Klein, y'all. I'm sorry. Like, I just do. Mm. She gives, she gives oh, I love her, too. Episode. 
She's making no like need yeah. to apologize. No need to apologize. And you know she is a good. She you know she's been with the show in some capacity since I believe season three. Around there, um, and she's also an award-winning writer. So, you know, kudos mm-hmm. to her. And I Jenny Fine, if you're listening, I swear I'm not creepy. And I, <laughs> <laughs> I promise I'm not following you from your office to your car. I promise. <laughs> Another thing I'm I'm thankful for her too that um, I didn't realize. It was one of those I didn't realize I missed it till I got it back again after a while. Is I loved seeing um, the mo- a motel room. I loved seeing like Sam in the motel room. I loved the cow in the barn, sort of uh, decoration by the door. I, I just I don't know. I I miss it. and and I'm and I like the bunker. I mean I think I'm fine with it, but I I miss I also miss Sam and Dean on the road in the motels and and seeing all that. So. Um, I like to. I enjoyed seeing the return of it, even though it wasn't present day motel room. I liked it. I liked the cow. And I liked the barn. And oh, oh, one thing I wanted to mention. I'm glad you mentioned the motel rooms. And I really would like. And I, I'm guessing it had to be done on purpose. Um, the brick type wall in the motel room was mm-hmm. such a throwback to the room, the motel room in Something Wicked in season one when, you know, we get the flashbacks to Sam mm-hmm. and Dean. It, it was like, it, um, it was like, it was the same brick wall. And so nice. it made me, it's like, it had, it had to be done on purpose. Jerry Wanick, awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's amazing. Hmm. Yep, this is just fantastic episode all the way around. I love Sam grabbing the Legos and the Army Men off the nightstand to pack yes, up and with him. Yes, that was a nice callback also. Again, this episode, like you, I think you nailed it when you said earlier that it had a lot of sentimentality, but it wasn't yeah. sentimental. Because I didn't feel right. manipulated at all in this episode. No. I felt like it, it came from a genuine understanding of the characterization versus uh, another episode this season that I did feel was completely manipulative. Hush, hush, hush. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> I mean, again, if, even, if you enjoyed, even if you enjoyed that, you have to admit it was manipulative. I didn't feel manipulated at all, so... I mean, if you want to be willfully ignorant, that's fine. I accept that option. Okay. Now, now. <laughs> um, um, but again, you know, just in general, and not just that episode, but other episodes that I do feel were designed to manipulate. I don't feel like this was designed to manipulate. I do genuinely feel like this episode was designed to further the story, and enrich the characterization. I liked Weems. I liked yeah, Weems. I, like I, liked, I feel like Weems is, like, 
again, when I go back to Dean being slightly jealous, I feel like Dean's reaction to Weems was kind of like, well, why didn't I have a cool imaginary friend like Weems? Yeah. Because I can go that would have been... Sam plays would have been... I can play it. Yeah. But I feel like but Dean like would have been... But not like Weems can play air guitar. <laughs> well, and if you think about it, Dean was nine years old in 1988. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could see that, like, in 1988, that would have theoretically been the imaginary friend that Dean would have conjured. And I think it's interesting that the Zana, that Zana didn't appear to Dean that we know of. And obviously not at all because Dean is like, mm, that's weird. Um, because, you know, Dean was not the most stable of nine-year-olds. So unless, obviously, he was more confident and stable than we think, which is an interesting thought in terms of, like, characterization. Um, but I mm. do feel like for Dean it was kind of like, wow, like, not just impressed at Weems, but, like, theoretically, Weems would have been Dean's Anna. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he could play a heck of an air guitar. I'm not that usually a big fan of guitar solos. Mm-hmm. That was impressive air guitar. It certainly was, and I liked um, I liked um, Sully rocking out right behind him. That was I would not really have thought cute. that of Sully. <laughs> it's like wow, that was really cute. And, I thought, and speaking of Wings and Sully, as an overweight person. I really did like the my fat saves me fat is awesome thing. I mean, <laughs> fat is the best. <laughs> that is the I was best. Stabbed, I was like, stabbed in my love handle. Most people don't say that. Like, that, that way. It was like I was stabbed in my best. love handle. <laughs> and yeah. I like when Paul's like, God, they go right through. Like they're just so weird about it. And I, I don't know. I, I enjoyed mm-hmm. this episode a lot. I genuinely mm. like if I really, like the things that I feel like nitpicky. I genuinely feel like I am nitpicking about, and that and everything that I'm nitpicking about, usually I can't work my head around it without mm-hmm. really just. And this time I'm like, no, I can justify this, 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 and this with this, 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 and this. Mm. Honestly, mm. my only my only critique of the episode was. Of this episode's monster, air quote, which is Reese, just because I think I would have taken, I don't know if it was just maybe that was the best take they could get or editing or what, I would have liked a different line reading on her saying that she's mad. And I would have liked a different line reading on if it wasn't for you two meddling kids kind of line. Because I, (laughs) yeah. That was those are my mm. own those are genuinely my only critiques about the episode was those two line readings. Um mm-hmm. but I, I I do think that you know, mm-hmm. in general yeah. it's quite difficult to play an over the top villain, you know, without coming mm. off a bit cheesy. I mean and then sometimes it works. I mean when you're watching like a superhero movie, you know, Lex Luthor is over the top he's cheesy, but he's Lex Luthor. Joker, over the top, he's cheesy. He's Lex Luthor. I mean, he's the Joker. 
like it, it works in, in a lot of aspects, but sometimes it just doesn't, and it kind of fell a little flat for me. But mm-hmm. in the grand scheme, like it's such a small thing out of the episode that I really feel like mm-hmm. I was just kind of stretching to find that. Yeah, I can I can accept that. I agree, but like I said, it like you said, it doesn't. It doesn't ruin the episode for me. It doesn't take me out of the episode. I just there's just too much about it to enjoy. Um, I also I thought Mickey Mickey the mermaid. I thought she was so pretty. I loved her face makeup and the eyes. Mm-hmm. She looked so mermaid mermaidy, and I loved that her top, the the strap for her top was like fishnet, <laughs> like actual fishnet, <laughs> and and I don't know. I just. I just want to say she's pretty. <laughs> this is going to be so morbid in the, in, in the wake of you saying that she was so pretty. I really liked when they were burying Aww. her. <laughs> see her but I also like that Sully didn't want that little girl to deal with what the other girl dealt with. You know, we can't leave her here. We yeah. Because a child. Again, right. I just think Sully's heart is in the right place. Mm-hmm. I liked her eye makeup, and I the the Maddie's mother. Um, I loved her necklaces. She had like Ooh, six or seven yes. of them on. They were so pretty. I loved how she necklaces, layered them up. Necklaces, her makeup too. I gotta say, Sabrina and the makeup crew really, really did a great job. Mm-hmm. With them, so. Mm-hmm. Also, and wardrobe. Yeah. Wardrobe did a fantastic job with Maddie's mother, with the manicure and sparkles. Because uh, Sparkle is fantastic. <laughs> um, and also Sully. You know, it was that nice, you know, kind of call to to Mork. Uh, mm-hmm. And and same thing with Weems. Like, it, it, he could have been over the top with the, you know, rocker rejects kind of thing, but it was quite believable. So, yes. Excellent mm-hmm. work making and wardrobe this episode. I just, this is, this is definitely, I, I'm going to go out and say it. This is a top 20 episode for me. It might be top, top 10. <laughs> Whoa, that's huge. Anybody who has that's huge. <laughs> I mean, I am honest, impressed. Let's be honest. My top 20 consists mostly of season two. But <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this is this is definitely a high up there episode for me. And I think like for me that, you know, anybody who listens knows that one, I am over critical uh to to a kind of rave inducing fault. Uh and especially in the past couple seasons I'm just really hard to impress. And so yeah, this episode is super up there for me. It's just writing, acting, wardrobe. It hits, it hits everything I need. That the set, uh, decorating. What is that? So you know, take this day down. I have, I have no sarcastic, evil remarks for an episode. <laughs> Mark this on your calendar. Uh, um, and we even got a little. We got a. We got well. More than one reference to the season arc of the darkness. 
Um, again, we've been commenting that it seems like no matter the monster or whatever type, they've at least heard rumors of the darkness or in so even Sully, you, who are imaginary friends and, you know, very sort of a, until someone started killing them off, they were, you know, kind of a, not monsters and um, they've heard of the darkness. You know, they're imaginary friends. They care for kids. They're supposedly always in a very good place. It's a, an exception to the rule for them to not, to be in a situation like this one where one of them was being, where they were being killed off and they have heard of darkness. And of course it's, it's uppermost on Sam's and Dean's minds. And they do have a conversation of sorts about it at the very end. And Agreeing with that, um, now I kind of get where, where Jared and Jensen, especially Jensen, will say, you know, this season harkens back to the earlier seasons. And I kept watching the season thinking, were you high? I don't understand where you're getting that from. But I kind of do now because if you look at season one and two, there really wasn't a concept of Monster of the Week versus Myth Arc. It was the Myth Arc wove through everything. Even when you saw mm-hmm. something with Monster of the Week, it wove into everything. Um, mm-hmm. And they're doing that again. And I appreciate that because I don't like the segregation between this is this kind of episode and this is this kind of episode. And I don't like the implication that if an episode only has Sam and Dean in it, then it's a Monster of the Week episode. I think that's kind of ridiculous because it doesn't make sense to me. Um, So I like that an overarching theme versus Monster of the Week pitted against Miss Arc. I like the idea of having an overarching theme, which I think has been missing from the past couple seasons where we kind of don't know what the point of the season is. Like, what what are we doing here? I like there's a point again. I will say that I kind of wish that Jared and Jensen hadn't posted that that outtake until Mm. after the episode aired, because as I was watching that scene, all I could think about was the outtake, and I could not take the scene seriously. <laughs> Not a bad I didn't remember that outtake until the second time I watched it. I was like, whoa, whoa, that's familiar. Yeah, those are my two, my two, my two real nitpicks about this episode. Actually, had to do more with like the marketing of it. I really wish that they hadn't spoiled Sully for us because I would have liked to be more surprised about what the shadowy figure in the beginning watching Sam was. But we kind of already knew it was Sully because. Duh. Um, and I kind of wish that Taryn Jensen would have waited to post that outtake because I could I could not take the scene seriously. I really couldn't. <laughs> but I mean, it's not it's not a real nitpick because yeah, I get it and I I like the outtake, so I'll forgive it. But yeah, it didn't ruin it or anything. I just I couldn't take it seriously because I was too busy laughing. <laughs> Yeah. Anything else about this episode? Mm. I mean, it was highly enjoyable. I think we've talked about 
pretty much everything. I think we've covered it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You fun. had notes. I came into this episode with no notes. This is probably the first time in a long time I've come into a podcast with no notes other than <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> Yeah, and I, yeah, I just and it, it's the first time I sat down and wrote a couple of pages of notes before I even started rewatching it. I just said, I remember that. I remember that. I want to talk about that, which is <laughs> that hasn't happened in a while. So that was I was like, I enjoyed it so much. I remembered so much that I wanted to talk about without even watching it again to remind me. So uh, wow. <laughs> Yeah, just overall, true. Hmm. Overall, I just really liked the episode, and I hope this is a reoccurring theme in terms of how this, how the overarching theme will will integrate into all the episodes versus just some of the episodes. Mhm. Um. Yes. And. I hope, well, I don't know, but I hope Jenny's going to write again this season. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know how they she schedule those does, things out. She usually does two episodes a season. Okay. Um, That's good. She, she usually I enjoy does two. Nicole and Eric usually do two. Uh, and then uh, Carver usually does two. And then Baron does three. Robbie does three or four. Uh Duo does three, and Dob does three. Mm. And I like. Oh, and then Swan will do two probably. Mm. Yeah, I liked her. I liked her writing. Um, I did. And I like what you're facing. Yeah, yeah, she was a good one. Um, but I like what you're directing as well in this one. So. Hopefully yeah, he'll do another episode too. someday. Definitely. Definitely. Oh, and I love okay. Sam and his gray and his gray. I guess with a Henley of sorts, his gray. <laughs> I mean, and for me, like, for me, Henley. Jenny Klein. Jenny Klein has done some of my favorite episodes. Um, she pitched the story for Cage Heat, which is one of my favorite episodes. Um, I liked hitting 911 last year. I actually did like the things they carried last year, and um, I like. I think she did Curious Case of Dean Winchester as well. And I know I can't think of what she did for season seven and eight. I genuinely am blanking. Um, but anybody who knows me, he knows Cage Heat is one of my is also in my top ten. So. This is brand new information. I know. Who would have thunk? <laughs> I mean, that episode has Solar Sam, Bloody Tea, Meg Stiel. Why would I like it? That doesn't, I mean, that doesn't say Vinny at all. <laughs> uh, but yes. And, and it was, uh, another thing I liked about this episode, it's the Sam and Dean. Dean and Sam. I'm good with that. 
Yeah, as I said, as I said earlier, I'm I'm one of those people. I'm one of those obnoxious people that is like, yeah, can we just have the family? I I mean, here's my thing. I like characters like Sully that come in for an episode and we'll maybe see again later, maybe not. But there's no real pressure to integrate the character on a regular basis. Similar to how we had characters in season one and two, where they, you know, they might pop up later, mm. they might not. Mm, take or leave. I, I have a slight. Mm, I don't like with how clockwork the last few seasons have been. So season eight to a degree, but nine, ten, and eleven have a very, very firm structure in terms of like. You're going to have these characters in one, two, three, then not four, not five, then again in six, not seven and eight, then again in nine, then again in ten. Like, you, it's like, so I always think it's funny people are like, is such and such going to be in this episode? And I'm like, well, look at the corresponding number last season and you'll know. Mm. It's like 99% of the time you can tell that. Um it's where it's very it's very patterned and very clockwork in how they set up the seasons now. And I kinda don't like that because I feel like for me it takes a lot of the the intrigue out. I would like it to be slightly varied. But I don't get to make the rules. <laughs> no. But again, I uh I love this episode and I just I I didn't notice anything missing. I'll just, I'll be vague. So I didn't notice anything missing. So you're being vague, but I am seeing you put those sunglasses on <laughs> and stand under a tree with an umbrella. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yep, there they go. While while adjusting your mini blinds. <laughs> I'm just going to put that all out there. Me? I I see what you did there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So next week we will, I mean, if you don't watch previews, stop listening for like 30 seconds. Uh, Next week we'll see the return of Amara, now all grown up. I'm interested to see what that's going to bring us. It will be Mm. the mid-season finale. So I assume a lot of of drama and intrigue and cliffhangeriness. Cliffhangeriness. Yeah, I'm going to not mention the one other spoiler that they gave us in the preview because for people who don't watch previews at all, like, that's a big one. Uh, Yep. Huge. I'm surprised that they gave that away. Yeah, and it's everywhere. Which is really yeah. annoying. Screen caps galore, gets galore. Really annoying. They gave that away. Again, yeah. I always say I would really market this show differently than it gets marketed, but I, again, I don't make the rules. <laughs> Unfortunately. Uh, if I ran the PR uh, department. <laughs> if I ran the PR department. Hmm. Um, um, last last new episode of 2015 and thereby we will have the last podcast of 2015 soon after. And then we'll go on 
the winter hiatus and be back sometime in January. They have not announced the return date yet, have they? No, not yet. So. Not specifically, no. Yeah, no. I'm sure. And ratings, ratings were up last week. Ratings were very good, good ratings. Very good ratings. Yes. Ratings were fantastic. It's been the, the show has been very, very steady and high up there on the on the steady meter. Again, I will always say that for an 11 year old show on a tiny, tiny network, it's number mm. three consistently between two powerhouse shows that are super trendy as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, shows that are very trendy and get a lot of promotion. And Supernatural is still a little show that could. Yep. Still rolling along. All right. Um, any other news? Any other notes? Any other comments about Sully? <laughs> I love him. Yep. <laughs> I do too. I'm not a cosplayer, but I would totally 100% cosplay as him for a photo op. I'm not even going to lie. Mostly because I think mm-hmm. I would look so good in suspenders. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it for us tonight. Um, thanks for everyone who listened. Yep. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you in about a week. Talk to you in about a week. Thanks for listening. And going to let the boys play us out. Good night, all. Good night. Hey, I'm Jared Padalecki. And this is Jensen Ackles. And you're listening to Winchester Radio. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.